Sweet. Okay. All right, so we're getting started. All right, I'm Larissa Renee, and I'm here with Ashburn, Liz, and Branson. Um, and I'm super excited because this is Army of Dreamers' first podcast, and we are here on the mic for their memory is the project that they've been working on. Do you guys want to say a little bit about that? I can say I can introduce myself. I'm yeah. Liz, Liz Ricketts. I'm a fashion person and the co-founder of The Or with Branson. I'm Branson. I'm a, a music person, and uh, I was the one who... Uh, wrote this song and, and, and sort of pushed it forward with Liz's help and, and some other folks who collaborated on it. And um, so I'm excited to be here and uh, talk about it, listen to it. And um, Ashburn. Yeah, uh, I'm Dominic Ashburn. Actually, I was invited to work on a music video uh, for the song that was being made uh, for the hour. Um, so she invited me here today and... Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just roughly too, I forgot to say. So, Army of Dreamers Media Group, we perform different platforms of media for creatives to get out there and start connecting and broadcasting exactly to different projects that they're working on. So, this is one of them. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna play the song. Yeah, you want to take a listen? Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. For their memory. Rescue workers in the Bangladeshi capital, Dhaka, are continuing to hunt for survivors trapped in the wreckage of the eight-story building, which collapsed in the morning rush hour. Officials confirmed that more than 1,000 bodies have now been found. Amidst the concrete slabs and toppled sewing machines, today's disaster is unlikely to slow a booming industry, which thrives on the world's lowest labor costs. And this was 40% off, so that was pretty awesome. Lowest labor costs. It says shopping is my cardio. Lowest labor costs. Shopping is my cardio. Lowest labor costs. Shopping is my cardio. Lowest labor costs. Lowest labor costs. When the concrete falls and the silence lasts forever. When the moments break.
What do you all? What do you all think of this? Uh, For starters, it's definitely better hearing it in these headphones than it is just like on my phone. Um, and Lauren sounds great. Yeah. So I, there. I, I should have, I uh, should have mentioned at the beginning. It's, it's critical that um, you know I, I give a huge shout out to Lauren Elise who pretty much makes this song. Mm -hmm. She's a, a beautiful singer. Uh, her voice just is Indeed. is perfect for this song, and uh, she's a pleasure to work with. Um, so I'm, I'm just honored that she participated in this project. She's got her own work coming up, and we'll talk about that. But, um, you know, for this song, it was, it was a lot of fun, and she really adds a whole other dimension to it. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so let's, let's I want to start talking about the song and, like, why... Well, let's tell them for starters, whose memory? Who's it for? Like, what got you started with these specific lyrics? Go ahead. Well, this is uh, this song is about Rana Plaza, yeah. which is a fashion factory disaster. It's a man-made disaster 
that killed 1,138 people working in Bangladesh, uh, sewing clothes, cutting and sewing clothes for largely U.S. and European brands. And this is a, a huge uh, disaster for an industry that has been plagued by disasters, but this is, this is really one of the largest ones. And, and we met, uh, Liz and I met through our work, a survivor of Rana Plaza. Her name is Reba Sikder, and we met her in uh, 2015. And her words inspired this song, um, which she, she talked about her experience, you know, underneath the concrete. And that's what this starts off this song uh, and, and really what guided it musically. You know, um, I wanted to, to create that sort of weight and grit um, and, and just give a platform for, for her. Her words and, and her voice, yeah. And she really ended the conversation with us. It was a small group of people in Washington, D.C. She really ended that conversation asking us, why don't we change? Mm. You know, and we being consumers, being anybody sort of in the fashion industry, the American government, but also just as a whole, uh, why do we continue to sort of over-consume and, and choose things based on price and not really think about the people behind them? And it was, um, you know, it's a question that I think we all hear, and maybe it uh, seems very simple, but to hear somebody say it, and for her, the way she said it, she was mystified. Mm-hmm. You know, why? Like, really, why? She didn't, she didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with us. And that's a question that Liz and I, you know, we, we work with our organization, uh, the Orr Foundation. We work uh, on issues of ethical fashion and educating about ethical fashion. And so when Reba put that question so bluntly to us and, and we didn't have an answer. I mean, we've been asking the same question and, and there is, you know, it, it sadly, you know, why aren't we changing? There, yeah. there isn't really an answer other than that, you know, we, we like our stuff, we like our cheap things um, and, and we're not really aware of the uh, impact of that. And so hopefully with this song, you know, it, it, it makes some people question, uh, you know, why they're not changing. Yeah. And think maybe more complexly about what change means, you know, I mean, I think Hopefully, when you listen to the song, your first question is not like, so where should I shop? Because I think that's where we all sort of um, go to first is thinking that our only agency is as consumers when we're checking out, you know, and how do we change that? But there's so much more to it that Mm -hmm. needs to happen, so much more critical thinking and to redesigning the entire system and the way that we live. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. it's a, I feel like it's a long-term thing, and it totally would have to be reshaped, but I think that's what's so great about this song is because people listen to music all the time, and it definitely is a great way to get people aware emotionally. I think a lot of people, like, for example, I get dressed emotionally. So in order for me to, like, hit and, like, understand it in a way that's not just someone just telling me about an event, I think it's a different, a great perspective to come and do that, so... I definitely agree. Um, how do you feel about the song, Ashburn? Well, I think it's important that um, you two are actually connected to the the topic that you're talking about um, mm-hmm. or making the song about because I think that there are a lot of musicians that um, make music that they're not necessarily uh, directly connected to, and you can feel your connectiveness through the song, and it actually brings a uh, true emotion actually yeah. through the through the speakers you know rather than um uh it just being like a yeah. uh, <laughs> you know like a <laughs> yeah. an, aw- an awareness song it's yeah. you guys are actually uh um 
in it. Well, I appreciate that. I think, I think I that makes a difference. So you can totally tell a difference when someone's singing a song just because they know how to sing versus it's something that they truly believe in or something that they want to eventually change. And I think that's the niche and what makes it most important and useful. Um, so you wrote these lyrics specifically? Yeah, I, well, I, I, I wrote the song, um, I guess, actually not long after meeting Reba back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, got a, a ukulele. We were living in Hawaii, actually, and I had a, a ukulele, as anybody living in Hawaii should do. Um, and I just, I was learning the ukulele, and I sat down, and I, I just wrote the whole thing from start to finish, and it's six minutes long, and a six-minute long time period, I, the, there was the song. It nice. materialized out of thin air, which I think um, is, it rarely happens, um, but I think when it does, you know, for me as a songwriter, um, and I've been making songs for, since I was a teenager, um, those are the best songs because, Ashburn, to what you were saying, you know, th- that connection emotionally, um, it's there. I mean, for me, it was something that I wanted to say inside. And, you know, I had so much on the front of my mind, everything that Reba had, had shared with us. And it, it impacted me so greatly that it, the song just flowed. Yeah. Um, and then in, in producing it, um, you know, like I said, I wanted to give that weight of concrete. So the ukulele does not actually make an appearance. It's a, you know, a pipe organ and piano that's sort of this driving force behind it, and uh, that's that's what we were really aiming to to bring that weight uh, of of her experience. Do you have like an acoustic version of this, on the, like recorded on the ukulele? Like on my phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be playing. No, no yeah, no. <laughs> That'd be nice to hear. So essentially, would you say that you've been working on this project for about two years then? Or? Um, well, we really, you know, I, I wrote the song, like I said, sort of in one sitting right. um, back in the summer of 2015. And then we didn't get around to recording it, um, I think for a variety of reasons. I think that I, I didn't really have the vision for it until uh, really this past spring mm-hmm. um, in about... March, I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to do this now. Um, and I think I'd put maybe enough distance emotionally between myself and, and, and the experience you know, of, you know, meeting Reba where I could approach it more, um, you know, still with that emotion and that raw emotion that's in the song, but, but from the technical aspect that you need to be able to actually produce the music and, and think about, okay, all of the technical elements. And then we were also in one place. Uh, Liz and I recently moved here to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like it. Um, and so we were in one place long enough. You know, we've been moving all around, and so we're finally here. We could we could connect um, with a good group of collaborators, and chiefly Lauren Elise, who is just a fantastic singer. Yeah. Uh, so we reached out to her, I think, in April or May, uh, and she jumped right on board. And, and actually we through you, Larissa. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Cause it, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're the connector. Yes. Full circle. Full circle. But that's that's our goal to be the connector and get people in, involved in other mm-hmm. projects, especially ones that they feel connected to. So I I'm think glad. It, I think it also took a minute maybe for us to think about what it means to tell somebody else's story like mm-hmm. this. So we had told it um, to several groups of people. You know, I, I told it, I shared it with you all in class. Yeah before and we've been doing that for a while and I think sort of got comfortable with what that means and with the reaction and understood that it's okay to do that and understood how to do it in a way that we're okay with where Mm -hmm. it's not sort of an exploitation of somebody else's struggle yeah and uh, I think the thing that we're most excited about with the song is that uh, Reba has listened to it Mm -hmm. And she really loves it. Yeah, I, I really don't care if anybody else listens to it. If if it if it's something that speaks to her and uh, that she's happy with, that to me was you know the greatest uh, email that I've ever gotten, hearing back from her. So it was it was really touching to know that she appreciates it and that 
um, you know, it's it's something that she's uh, happy that exists in the world and mm-hmm. that we've shared her story in this way. So it means a lot to me yeah. and to both of us. Yeah. Yeah. We had to work through it a little bit, though. Yeah. <laughs> Branson almost put it out in June. Yeah, I, I did it. Actually, I did a version of it we almost released without Lauren's vo- vocals and, mm. and just realized that it we just... We had to have it, a come to Jesus it, 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 it needed It needed... Um, <laughs> It needed the lift that Lauren brings to the song, and so that that was a that's huge that that she. Got and then on board two the two students of fashion design at mm-hmm. um, DAP here in that. UC sing on the chorus, which is really cool. You know, you can't really differentiate their voices, but I think it adds to the story that they got involved. Yeah. yeah. And then we're gonna have Ashburn. Uh, you're gonna work on the music video. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to do the music video in the first place was. Um, I, because I, I understand that uh, the point is for you know everybody to hear the song, um, you guys to go through the process of, of making it and touch the hearts of the people that are that were directly impacted by it. But um, I think it, it it will add another level to the uh, to the message if it's you know broadcast to a lot of people if a lot of people can hear it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's that's the next step to spreading that awareness. And I think that. Uh, making a music video for it will definitely help that um, because people are very visual now. So if somebody has something to watch as well as uh, listen to, it might get the message across. Um, totally. Yeah. Stronger. yeah, I agree. Bringing visuals is a whole another aspect because like when you first listen to it, you you have what you think it is in your head, but for the people who actually created to show you through their visuals, like what they're really wanting you to get out of it, I think that's a, a whole another aspect, and that's why and that's why I love different forms of media bringing forth like the goal and like what you're trying to bring out to people. It's like I don't know. I just love that you can use different forms of it, and it and each way brings a different emotion. I feel like too, so that's most important as well. And so with that though, like. We know that it's going to bring out emotion, but like what other, I would say, goals or ways can people, you know, kind of essentially start to make a change? Like what? what well, there's also there's a website that accompanies the song for their memory dot org. People can go to to hear the song, uh, interact with the lyrics. You can click on them and learn some things. You can um, buy it on iTunes. <laughs> you can. Yeah, and support, it's also, support. Yes, it is a fundraiser. Um, we don't typically do fundraisers like this, but um, we're not working on the ground in Bangladesh or in uh, garment. Uh, like centers around the world so we wanted to donate any money that's raised through streaming or downloading or purchasing um, or you can donate directly on the website to three different organizations who are working more directly with um, people who work in the garment industry and Branson can tell you a little bit about that yeah so so uh, on the website you can find out this information and and we're donating to uh, um, the most importantly, the Bangladesh Center for Worker Solidarity, uh, which is the organization uh, that worked with Reba to, to come to the United States and, and, and helped us meet her. And um, they're doing incredible work on the ground in, in Bangladesh throughout the entire country, um, focused on the fashion industry, on uh, organizing unions, on um, legal cases, uh, you know, looking at factory owners and, and labor rights violations on uh, education for people working in factories in Bangladesh in terms mm-hmm. of their rights, but also in terms of basic education, in terms of uh, child care, mm-hmm. um, a whole array of things. It's it's kind of astounding what they're able to put together uh, with pretty scarce resources. And so uh, we're, 
we're honored to be able to, to contribute in a small way to their work. And then we're also contributing to the um, Fashion Revolution campaign, which is sort of the bridge between the consumer awareness and the on-the-ground work mm. of uh, labor rights organizations. And so we wanted to contribute to them. And, and all of those organizations work with the Clean Clothes campaign. So uh, any other money that is raised um, will go to the Clean Clothes campaign. And then uh, whatever's left over, we might put into our educational resources. But um, that's that's sort of how we've broken it up. Um, and we'll see you know, exactly. Um, we, we don't know how much money the song will, will make. We've never released a song before. Yeah. This is new for our organization, yeah. um, which is... But which it's is, fun to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, we released it under um, the name The Or Is Present. Our, our foundation is mm-hmm. The Or Foundation. And we just felt that there was a need to sort of have a cultural studio arm to what we're doing because mm-hmm. I think today we all are, are empowered to release information in multiple channels, right? And mm-hmm. so... Sometimes that can be really daunting if you feel like you have to continue a project. So this is sort of like a one-off thing that yeah. we just felt needed to happen, and so we did it. Naturally, it continues, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, Liz, as you had said before, you know, this sort of dynamic of, of putting a song into the world and the challenge of sharing somebody else's story, I mean, that's something that we're, in terms of giving money, but also just in terms of the way we're approaching this, even with our social media and things, it, we're really conscious of the fact that, you know, there's this fine line between sort of exploiting someone's mm-hmm. story and yeah. and sharing it. And um, so, you know, I don't know. Hopefully we're on the right side of that line. Um, it, but uh, it, that's something that's sort of always in the back of our minds, um, that our objective is to share this story and, yeah. and not to, you know, not to make money off of it or not to, to right. you know, get famous off of it. That's not our, our goal here. Right. Um, we just want people to... to listen and be moved to make a change. Yeah, I think the lyrics help, though, with the fact of separating exploitation, um, just for the simple fact that you can, like, the repetition of saying for their memory, and I even just saying that over and over made me feel <laughs> like a, it hit me in the feels, like, as I was listening to it, because, like, the repetition is, like, it's reminding you who it's for, what was happening. It's not just, like, you saying what you think was there. So I think the lyrics play a major part in not making that happen. So you did a good job yeah, with you. not exploiting. I do have a question, though, about the lyrics. So in the first part, it says, oh, when you know you've lost and you know there's not a winner where the Juku girls cry. What is what the Juku? <laughs> where the Juki girls cry. So yeah. Juki is a brand of sewing machine. Uh, oh, okay. in, it, that is, it's actually the number one industrial sewing machine brand in the world. And so it's kind it's of... Japanese. Y- yeah. Mm-hmm. It's um, ubiquitous throughout pretty much any fashion factory. Um, and... It, Part of the song, the way we architected it, there's actually an electronic drum that is there to sort of sound like a machine mm. um, and give this, like, pounding machine that is not changing. Um, and then it does change at the end. And so, um, yeah, the, the Juki Girls is a, is a reference to the people working on sewing machines. Nice. Okay. And then I see there, too, it says bright colors of home. Is it, like, in reference to, like, specific attire of the culture? Absolutely, yeah. So one of the things that's really critical, when we met Reba, she's actually wearing uh, more of a sari style, the traditional cloth in in Bangladesh, um, and not, in fact, the clothes that she was making or that her peers were making in in, uh, Rana Plaza. And that's actually the case with many of the women uh, working in these factories the clothes that are being made are almost exclusively for export. And that, mm. I think, in my mind, shows an imbalance in the system where you know people aren't 
selling a surplus of what they have. They're selling something exclusively for export, and the styles that people are making and, and wearing for themselves are completely different. And so it, it, Bright Colors of Home is sort of this reference to, I believe, the need that globalization be heterogeneous, mm -hmm. function in, in as a two-way street, and not be one in which we are sort of us here in the U.S. or Europe pouring our styles and our culture on other people, but rather we're able to learn and, and appreciate the cultures of other folks and, um, and understand the economics of that as well. And we often talk about, you know, Bangladesh and other countries like it as developing, but, you know, that's quite ignorant when you think about the textile industry, especially. I mean, Dhaka, where Rana Plaza was, mm -hmm. was a center of textile production, was a very, like, incredibly developed city mm -hmm. um, and had a developed fashion industry hundreds of years ago. Yikes. Yeah, so, and then, sorry, I'm just going back to the links because I just want to get deep into it. So it says, she's asking you never to go back, not for all the lies to tell. I, for one, will never go back where the truth where the truth is Reba's hell. Is this like, first of all, that was one of the things that stuck out the most to me because I was like watching different videos, like different interviews prior to this. And there was a mix between people who never wanted to go back into a factory ever again. And then a mix between how else are they going to have an income? So I don't, I don't know that really like that's torn. So what do you have to say about that part? Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I can tell you that Reba uh, has left Dhaka. She's gone mm -hmm. back to uh, you know a village outside of Dhaka where because she is uh, actually you know doesn't want to be you know in these big buildings right. and in, in, in a factory anymore. It's so scary. Um, but I think that the point you're you're making in mm -hmm. terms of sort of what is better, you yeah. know, raises a lot of questions. And when you ask, you know, what can people do? I mean, mm -hmm. this is why it's such a challenging and complex thing that if, you know, boycotting were, could take people's jobs away, yeah. right? Which doesn't necessarily make it better. And if they, if there's an economic pressure that then, you know, a factory owner says, okay, we're going to pay you less because we're not making as much money. That right. doesn't help either, exactly. right? So it, it, it's very challenging. Um, in this, when I put my, you know, the I, the I in this, I for one will never go back. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, I'm thinking of, I'm not falling back in this cycle of buying stuff mindlessly. Gotcha. Um, the Reba's Hell, though, is certainly a reference to Rana Plaza. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I know that that's very real for her. Um, and I think that the answer to the question of, of what we can do and what is better to, you know, to have that job in the factory or not is going to be on the personal level, yeah. the individual level. But what we can do is stop and consider you know, how our purchasing, how our actions, how our, our mindlessness or our mindfulness plays a part in that. Yeah, that's for sure. Because even taking like industry theory and practice, like, okay, so each day we had to like write where our clothes were from and what it was made out of. And just that alone, you don't even think about it because you're just such in routine to what's like normal for you. And so that's why I feel like stories like these are very important because it's like, we're not gonna make a quick change. Like it's not gonna just stop automatically, but there are like little things that you can do. And I, I pay attention more to like, even the companies that I work for, like where are your clothes coming from? And it's not like I can't just stop them from doing that but like personally there are certain things that I don't buy anymore and like even with my friends and they're talking about I don't know some name brand 
thing that they're just so in love with. I'm like, all right, well, you know, think about what you're really buying here because it's not just a clothing. Like, it's a whole story about where this piece of clothing came from and just being mindful And once you start asking one question, where did it come from, you'll start asking better questions. You know, then you get into really understanding what are the specific questions. Like, did these people have the right Right. to organize? Right. And I think that, I know, I think those specific questions, that is actually the the key thing. And and because that, you know, boycotting is very tricky concept Mm -hmm. um, because there's a downside to it. I think the the most important thing is to be asking those questions when you are actually buying something. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you go into a store and you ask somebody, you know, even a person in a retail environment, say, Mm -hmm. do you know, uh, you know, were the the people making this, do they have overtime pay? I mean, just a very specific thing that they will have to, in almost all cases, somebody working in a retail environment, they're either gonna know the answer or they're gonna have to ask somebody you know, above them in the, the company and that news will spread uh, and, and I think can sort of organically put a pressure on uh, companies to be transparent. I agree. Yeah. It's not simple. We all have to get a little bit more comfortable with the ambiguity, I think. That's true. Being comfortable is hard sometimes. Did you have something that you wanted to say? It looked like you did. If you don't, it's fine. I always have something to say. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I was actually just, when I was reading the lyrics, um, something that was very visual was uh, when she's car sick driving down our backward roads, asking why we don't make a change. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to, to, um, I don't know, touch on is that this is is her life. Mm -hmm. Um, Her her whole life um, has, has been focused around this issue. And she wonders why we don't make a change. But a lot of people outside of this room right now are not directly connected to the problem at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you two being directly connected to it, you've seen how much it's influenced you to actually take action and do something. Mm, yes, I agree. Um, so for the people who are not connected to this, don't really have an education or knowledge or experience at all um, um, about the, the depths of this issue, um, how would they actually uh, incorporate um, a routine into their life to solve this? Because obviously you guys have centered your souls around this issue. I mean, um, we're in a room doing a podcast about it. You guys have made a song. We're about to make a music video. It's, it's deep now, you know? Um, but the general population, it would take everybody doing something and a change of mentality for... Um, uh, a p- point to be across and actually make a significant change. So how do you think people can uh, incorporate something into their routines to make that happen? I mean, I think the first thing is asking those questions. Uh, in a retail environment, you know, on the internet, uh, asking yourself the question mm-hmm. and being very honest, do I know? Well, and it's not to be guilty. It's not to feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I've contributed to this. It's rather to, to recognize, like, what do I know about this? Right. Uh, and or what don't I know about this, uh, which is more often the case. And starting there, asking yourself that question, and then asking in retail environments, and then uh, I think considering uh, sort of all of the alternative methods that an economy works. And, and by that I mean, you know, trading your clothes with your friends uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, fixing things yourself. I mean. And the system is so complex because, again, okay, so if we take away money from people working in Bangladesh, that doesn't necessarily make it better there. At the same time, it is about developing something that is is more holistic. And so it takes a little bit of all of those things. 
uh, which is why I think, you know, that's that's what we can do, a little bit of all of those things. Yeah, there's not an easy answer. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to knowing yourself, yeah. right? right, and working on yourself, because that's so much of what fashion allows you is to express that on the outside, and if, if you don't know yourself and if you don't understand that side of fashion, you're just going to fall into the trap of following trends, feeling like you should shop just based off of price and just consuming more and more and never really feeling anything about your clothing, which is what leads you to start asking those questions in the first place. And I think, too, you were talking about it just being personally connected. I think once you hear it, once you see it, once you've been told about it, it gets connected to you that way just by interacting you in any form. And at that point, you have a choice to dig deeper and understand what's being brought to your forefront or to just ignore it at that point. So... And this is why, I mean, this is why I was interested in, in making a song and, and making the music video that we're going to be working on is, it, I think we live in a society in which there's all of this media constantly pushing us to buy things and, and, and constantly pushing us to uh, be consumers uh, and to do so, in many cases, rather mindlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't believe that a song is going to change that overnight, but right. I do think it is important to um, put things out there that have a, sort of the opposite message and have a more positive uh, effect on an individual that, that helps someone maybe be more mindful and, and yeah. slow down a little bit. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of cultures, actually, um, stories are told to children and to people to uh, change their mentality to kind of have them think certain ways about, even if it's just a fictional uh, story like uh Red Riding Hood, you know what I mean? That story mm-hmm. was told to like scare people from going mm-hmm. into the woods and doing the things that she was doing. So I think this is like modern day, you know what I mean? Storytelling. Yeah. This is, yeah, that, that's yeah, how that's you, a really good point. Change, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we don't realize the stories that we've already sort of um, inhabited, right? I mean, right. we're all, we all grow up knowing what it means to be a consumer before we even know what it means to be a citizen, and we don't question that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think people might question us trying to tell a story that bridges or tips into like morality and ethics because we are kind of afraid of those conversations. Yeah. People always are going to question if it's not something that they're used to. True. Well, any other closing remarks? Well, I want to, I want to mention though, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why, um, you know, I know Lauren, not to speak for her, but I know that she's excited about this project because she, she, she is a great storyteller mm-hmm. herself and her music. And um, we, I want to give a big plug for her album that's coming out. We've got our song that she's on, um, but she's also, you know, right at the same time about to release an album um, at the end of this month. And it's going to have some great stories on it. And I think that, you know, when we talk about sort of putting something out there into culture with uh, a positive vibe, I think she's definitely doing that. Um, Yes. So, So, okay, so she does have an album coming out, and she has a listening party next week. But you can totally, and speaking of Lauren Elise, you can catch her on Instagram at Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N-E-Y-L-I-S-E, because a lot of people get that part wrong. So I'm going to say it again, L-A-U-R-E-N-E-Y-L-I-S-E. And please go check her out, guys. She is awesome. Her spirit is awesome, too, which makes it all the better. So, and speaking of Lauren Elise, do you want to play her song? Yeah, yeah. yeah let's 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 take a listen. I'm let's, ready. Let's, let's end on a on a on a positive on a great vibe note. here. Let's so this is "Loud Afternoon" by Lauren Elise.
Head down, smoke clouds on your chest. Purple burns down, young restless. Shades isolate, he confiscates the cool. I ain't done shit today, but you wrote poetry and sheets with you. Sang lullabies and listened to your blues. I got hungry, high and high thought you got freaky, sneaky, feisty too. I learned your fantasies and taught them too. And I got crazy, baby, loud as royal. Tamed me, laid me out, and soon I reached for something sweet to grow for you.
Yes, come through, Queen. I love her so much. <laughs> That's a good song. That is that good. Is. So, yes. Okay, so this was On the Mic with Liz Branson, Larissa Renee, and Ashburn. In addition, you can find other events from AOD at AOD Media Group on Instagram because we work with other creatives so we can find out other things there too. And I'm so excited. I'm sorry. Woo. Cool. Sweet. Check out uh, ForTheRememory.org. And yes. uh, when you're on iTunes buying uh, uh, the song, make sure to check out Lauren Elise's material too. It'll pop Lauren up Elise. in the same search. Thanks for right, listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace. Peace.